I try to let them in little by little. Certain things are happening. Certain things aren't right. But I, I think they were dismissed or minimized. They didn't understand the gravity of the situation. So I tried on my own to try to get myself out of this. And it was very hard because when you find yourself in an abusive situation, all you need is support. And I simply did not have it. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Sonia Frontera. She's a survivor of a toxic marriage. She's a divorce lawyer, a domestic violence advocate, empowerment trainer, and author. She recently published her second book, Relationship Solutions, Effective Strategies to Heal Your Heart and Create the Happiness You Deserve. Welcome, Sonia. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And I know that you have been practicing law for quite a while now. Before your own divorce and the end of your first marriage, were you a divorce lawyer? No, actually, I got divorced in my last semester of law school. Ah, And were you studying family law? Not at all. Actually, I decided to go to law school uh, once my marriage was on the rocks. I felt like my life was um, at a dead end, and both professionally and personally. So I decided I wanted to do something to empower myself and move ahead. I was only 25 years old, and I just felt like there should be more for life. Mm. So had you a different career when you were married to your first husband? And how long were you married? We were married for almost seven years, and uh, before we got divorced, I I was a corporate animal. I I did accounting and finance for a few years, and then I switched over to human resources. Okay, so you were you married really young? Yes, I got married at twenty four, which is insanely young to me, and <laughs> I regret it. Oh, well, how did you meet your first husband? We met in New York. Uh, the the year I graduated from college, I went to visit my ex-roommate in New York City. It was really exciting for me to go to New York. And she told me about this guy in her in her building. And I met him. And it was like instant attraction for both of us. Mm. So did you have a long courtship or did you get married quickly? We dated for three years. He was starting to get back to school at the time. And we had to wait for him to graduate. And then we we got married uh, the summer that he finished school. So I don't know much about this first relationship. I know that it ended. I know that it was what you call toxic. Um, So when when you think about the end of your marriage, what kind of things what kinds of things were happening that became damaging to you? Things became damaging, not at the end, but at the very beginning of my marriage. We went on our honeymoon and on the flight to Mexico, he just turned into a completely abusive person. He he started telling me terrible things and insulting me. And he told me everything's going to change. And uh, he said very disparaging things about me and my family. And I was completely distraught by by this revelation that I was not expecting. So he showed no signs of this when you were dating? 
No, he was a good con artist. He he had a temper, which most of us do. I know I do, so that's really not a red flag. <laughs> but he was very charming and very friendly. Everybody loved him. He was very personable. So I never expected this would happen to me. And he was very adoring. He was the kind of guy who would bring me flowers every single time we met. Mm, that's interesting. What do you understand about that behavior now, that, that flower part? I think that is part of the pattern of an abusive relationship. Abusers tend to woo you and, and they make their moves. They change when they think they have you under their spell, when you are under their control. And that's when they turn. And it's part of the dynamic because you get taken aback and, and you start questioning yourself. What is it mm -hmm. that I do? How did I end up here? What's wrong with me? So that's part of what is, is a classic toxic relationship. Just came to find out after the fact is something that I didn't even know during my marriage. Right. Well, it's also, did you have any kind of experience with the uh, toxic relationship prior to this? No, I didn't. And I had a very sheltered background. So this was all very surprising to me. And this is something that I just learned as I went along. And actually, when I was in law school, I decided to do an internship at the domestic violence unit in the courthouse mm -hmm. where I uh, went to school. And that's where I had to take some training so I could be of assistance to people who would come to court seeking restraining orders. And that's mm -hmm. when I learned about the cycle of violence. And I put two and two together, even though I did not find myself in a physically violent situation. It was classic emotional abuse. It's interesting to me, too, when you chose the internship there, did, do you think you, you were already sort of figuring out that something wasn't right? Or do you think it was a complete coincidence? Well, I knew something wasn't right. And in fact, I, I had uh, taken time off from school before I, I took a deferment from my, my admission because my marriage was a problem. And I decided to give it a chance. So I deferred law school for a year. And then I went to school. And going to uh, this internship was something I did because I wanted to do some pro bono work. I have mm -hmm. always been interested in women's issues, and my girlfriend and I decided to do it together. Mm -hmm. And so your family, I'm curious about what relationships were like that you witnessed growing up and what kind of relationship model you had in your own family in terms of healthy or dangerous our family was pretty classic. You know, my mom was a homemaker and my dad worked. He uh, was an engineer. And we had a very vanilla family. My parents were very involved in the community, very, very respectable. Their relationship was seemingly healthy. You know, there were no, no fights. There was no violence. No screaming, not the kind of thing that you would consider dysfunctional. So mm -hmm. for me to find myself in this kind of situation was not going towards the familiar, which is something that happens to many of us in life. We just gravitate towards things that uh, bring you to patterns that are familiar to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I, I'm thinking about you being on the plane going to your honeymoon and I'm thinking about this behavior that you're talking that you described on the part of your new husband. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to know that you're off on a trip with someone who's behaving in a way that they never have before. And that that feeling of confusion or dread. 
Yes, it was horrible. Did you at that point feel like there was something you were personally responsible for changing? I didn't know what to think of it at the time. I It was all like a big blur. It was the sense of disbelief. What's going on? How could this be happening to me? Is this real? Mm-hmm. And um, the worst part is like, what am I going to do about this? Here am I on a plane with this man going on a trip to Mexico. My wedding was 24 hours ago. And what am I going to say to my family? Oops. You know, after we had the wedding, I knew how my family would react to that. I, I could just hear my mom saying, well, that's something you should have figured out before the wedding. So <laughs> I knew what I was going to be encountering if, if I were to go home and say, I, I made a big mistake. So the question is, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to get through this honeymoon? And I cried all the way to Mexico because I just, I was so taken aback and I, I felt so distressed. I, words can't begin to describe it. Mm-hmm. Did he also have good behavior while you were away? The behaviors were mixed during the honeymoon, which which is also very classic. It's that, that confusion that's created by periods of abuse alternated with periods of loving behaviors and charming and attentive. So that's what I encountered. It was it was really difficult and but I, I try to make the best of it. I'm a survivor, and I knew that I was not going to be able to just spend the rest of my honeymoon or the rest of my life crying. So I tried to mm. make the best of it. I was in Mexico, at beautiful beaches, and, and I enjoyed what I could. And then I decided to do something later, much later, actually. So can you talk about that when you got back from your honeymoon and did you let on to your family? Because I'm trying to get this picture here of you're being uh, confronted with this behavior and this information about this person you've just connected your life to. And you've already mentioned that you didn't want to really let your family know that you'd made this big mistake. So at what point did you start to let them in and, and, and show them that what was going on behind closed doors and in the relationship wasn't what you wanted? I tried little by little because I I understand how my family is and I understand how my mother is. And my mother especially, she had a way of, um, I guess, projecting things to me. She she had an idea of who I was that didn't really match who I saw myself as. And Mm -hmm. I try to let them in little by little. Certain things are happening. Certain things aren't right. But I... I think they were dismissed or minimized. They didn't understand the gravity of the situation. So I tried on my own to try to get myself out of this. And it was very hard because when you find yourself in an abusive situation, all you need is support. And I simply did not have it. Wow. So did your friends offer any support or did you really feel alone? I felt very alone. I didn't think anyone was there for me. And I am from Puerto Rico, so it's not like I had much family uh, in the mainland. I was living in New Jersey. I'm still living in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. But I did not have family. I didn't have a place to go. And that was the hardest thing for me. I was just terrified that here I am in this terrible situation. And if I needed to flee, I had no place to go. Mm-hmm. Did did he become threatening, more overtly threatening to you as time went on? Or was it sort of the same level of um, aggression the whole time? These things tend to escalate. And what I did, 
I decided I'm going to empower myself. So since I did not have the support systems in my friends and family, what I did, I went to a therapist. I always worked with somebody with whom I could talk openly without fear of being judged. Mm-hmm. So I was working with different uh, counselors at different points in time. I started out with, with a counselor from cha- uh, Catholic Charities, but those were programs that maxed out, so I couldn't continue with her uh, on a longer-term basis. But I mm-hmm. felt her advice very, very empowering. So what happened to me is that as time went on and as I empowered myself, since his behaviors were psychologically abusive and not physical, I was able to detach from, from, let me explain it to you this way. It's like mm-hmm. he was trying to push your buttons, but you disconnected the wire. So mm-hmm. when the button is pushed, it doesn't have the effect that's intended. And the fact that I went to school put placed a barrier between us because I was going to school while working full time. So I left the house very early. Then I went to school from 6 p.m. Mm. to 10 p.m. I didn't get home till 11. And I spent my weekends just studying while he went to visit with his family. So the only inter- interactions we, we did have were, for the most part, Friday night dates. Hmm. So were you kind of trying to just keep on keeping on until you had a plan in place? Exactly. You got it. Right. Because I would imagine if he knew, I mean, I don't know how smart he was or how smart abusers are maybe that varies but I would wonder if he would he if he ever thought why why isn't she getting upset anymore why don't I have this effect to upset her anymore that is a very good question Uh, I think the fact that we didn't spend that much time was was a big factor and um, I am still a bit emotional it just didn't take such a big toll on me and I have always been very outspoken. So when he did certain things, I just spoke out. If something was not acceptable, I said, you know, this is not right. I really don't want you doing this. It didn't mean that he was going to stop it, but at least I was very vocal about it. Well, I was wondering, what was your point of no return? What was your your breaking point? That's it. I can take action now. Oh, God, this is interesting. I, for me, it happened... When we were traveling overseas, we went to Prague in the Czech Republic. And I have never told this story before, so it's kind of um, a little bit personal. But I was, because I am very religious, uh, he took advantage of the fact that I was Catholic and for the Catholic uh faith divorce is frowned upon at least back then when when we were married and you could not receive communion and the church treated you like a second-class citizen and he took advantage of that and uh, said hey you can't divorce me you're catholic so we were in prague and we visited this church and out of nowhere this priest walks up to me and starts speaking to me in spanish And he told me about the Holy Infant of Prague and said this was a very miraculous devotion. And I prayed so hard at that church for strength to do what was right. And with tears in my eyes, I prayed and I just felt that my prayer would be answered. And during that very trip, we were in Vienna, which was our next stop on the trip. And he started screaming at me in the subway. 
and yelling at me like a deranged man. And I'm like, this is it. So I'm just sitting there like, I don't know this man, like any loony in the New York subway. And I said, mm-hmm. no more. So when we returned from the trip, I said, you know what? This is over. And he didn't get it. He had no idea why I wanted to end our marriage, which is bizarre to me. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like his his um, his like understanding of relationships or even how to treat people would be average, right? It seems like he's not dealing with the same set of skills or tools or any kind of perceptions as you or maybe me. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And I, I think it's compartmentalized in his way because he can be very loving and very charming. And at the same time, he resents certain types of, of um, relationships or anything that may have to do with someone having power over him because he had to, mm-hmm. he had problems at work and he lost a couple of jobs for anger management reasons. Mm. So how did you reconcile the whole idea of divorce with your faith? How did you give yourself the, the permission I just felt that when I was there at this church, I felt that my prayer had been answered, that I had received the absolution that I needed, the empowerment, the sense that I had to do what I had to do, that it was okay. And I have not looked back. I know mm-hmm. that I felt resistance from the church and coming back and, and hearing priests saying things that were derogatory towards divorced people, I I kind of felt that hurt caused by the church, but I felt that I had done the right thing, that I did everything in my power to save the relationship. I, I tried hard. I gave it a period where I said, this can't go on like this, and, and I realized it was not sustainable. So I felt like I didn't just quit, that I was not mm-hmm. irresponsible, and that I was not doing something reckless. So I felt at peace, which is what was most important to me, inner peace. Mm-hmm. And so how long were you married by the time you divorced? It would have been seven years. We divorced in March and our wedding anniversary was in June. So almost seven years. That's a long time. Yes, very long, especially when you're not happy. Yes, that's yeah, exactly. So, so then what were your next steps and moves? Because I know you got married again. And I'm curious when you began to practice the kind of law that you practice. Well, very funny, because when I got out of law school, I had to do a clerkship. I wanted to uh, work for the attorney general's office. And one of the things they favored was working uh, for a judge. So at the time I realized that, I, I found an opening in family court. I used to be a court interpreter. And one of the judges that I interpreted for really liked me and she offered me the opportunity to work for her but because she Mm. was a new judge her first assignment was in family court so I ended up in divorce court like you know (laughs) by accident by default not by design so I did it for for a year that's the uh, extent of of a court clerkship and after (laughs) I did that for a year it was like the most toxic thing. I said, no, I'm not practicing this. So after the clerkship (laughs) ended, I I got a corporate job instead. 
So you decided not to go ahead and work at the attorney general's? No, I did. I did work for the attorney general's and I, I did employment law, which is something I really enjoy because, again, I have a, a, a human resources background. I see. So then talk about your your advocating. So you have this corporate job now, but you have been working in the area of victims' rights and supporting women. Well, actually, that's that's something that came later. I, I worked in corporate for a couple of years, and then my company was, was sold. And then I was able to get a job at the attorney general's office because the attorney general's office, at the time I came out, my timing was terrible. At the time I came out of law school, there were no jobs. There was a, an employment freeze, a hiring freeze at the attorney mm-hmm. general's office. So when my job ended in corporate, it just coincided when the, the hiring freeze being lifted. So I was very lucky to go work for the attorney general's office. And I worked in government for 17 years. Wow. And so what do you what do you do now? Well, now I am working. Uh, I ha- I'm working in private practice, and I have a solo practice. I have a law office, and I am doing collaborative divorce. And how I ended up here is a little bit twisted, because while <laughs> I was working, it, I mean, life is not linear. The journey of life mm-hmm. is just full of all kinds of detours. So while I was working in the attorney general's office, I became afflicted with a chronic migraine disability. And I was a litigator at the time, but you can't really be a litigator with that kind of of disability. So a friend of mine, uh, a new friend, she told me that I should quit my job and take on collaborative divorce. And funny enough, the reason why she ended up doing collaborative divorce is because she was doing regular divorce, litigated divorce, and it was very toxic. And an attorney, uh, a partner in her law firm had a stroke. And she said, you know what, I'm not going to have the next stroke. So (laughs) she switched over to collaborative and she encouraged me to do the same. So Mm -hmm. I decided to leave my employment with the government and open my new office. And that's how I ended up doing collaborative divorce. I opened my practice six years ago. So as a collaborative divorce lawyer, and I have heard the term collaborative divorce, but for people who have not, can you kind of talk a little bit about what that is? Collaborative divorce is a different model. It's very different from litigation in that the parties agree in advance that they are going to collaborate to resolve their case. So what they do is they work with two collaboratively trained attorneys who assist them in negotiating the terms of their divorce. And they can also work with neutral professionals that help them in other areas of dispute that they need to resolve, like a financial advisor who counsels them on how to divide their assets and and their liabilities so that they can maximize their financial situation once the divorce is final. And they also uh, can work with a divorce coach, which is a mental health professional who helps the parties navigate the emotional aspects of divorce, which is very useful when when the negotiations get stalled because people get emotional, they have baggage, mm-hmm. they have problems deciding what to do with their children. So this is something that a divorce coach would be helping with. So the parties work together and they have different sessions. And when they come to an agreement, they draft that agreement and it is at that point that they file for divorce for irreconcilable mm-hmm. differences. 
So instead of having the litigation take place in court and having to go through all this exchange of information in a public forum, they do it in private and then their divorce becomes final and approved by the judge. And so, Sonia, how does working in this field, uh, collaborative or not, how does working in this field affect you and your relationship with your new husband? I I put a a division, a a wall between my work and my personal life. So it, it really doesn't interfere with my marriage. And both my husband and I are divorced and remarried. So we have a different appreciation for our marriage because we have been in other relationships that have not been very good. And we appreciate how we get along, what we bring to each other's life, and and what we have together as a couple. When did you meet him? We have been together for 21 years. Oh my gosh, that's a long time. That's a long time. Forget the seven-year-long time. This is a real long time. Yes. It's the longest for both of us. Yeah. And so... I mean, I'm so happy that, that that is how your story is is ending up. What do you want people in difficult marriages to know? They need to understand that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that their marriage is not a failure, that they can create their lives any, when they, any way they want. When you are going through a difficult marriage, it feels like it's the end of the world because in a way it is. It is the end of the dreams and the hopes that you created around this relationship. But when relationships don't work, you just give them the best you can. And if they cannot be salvaged, it is more humane for you to and for you and your spouse to go separate ways amicably and create your lives from scratch. And it doesn't matter how old you are or whether or not you have children or what other barriers you think impede you from recreating your life. You need to have faith and trust that everything is going to work out and put your best effort into understanding how you ended up in this situation so that you can avoid recreating similar mistakes in the future. Mm-hmm. Is there are there common issues you see among your clients or something that comes up again and again in your work? It's different for every couple, but I would say that the common threads are people grow apart. People went into marriage with certain expectations and then their relationship just doesn't live up to them. And uh, and of course you have other other situations where there are mental health issues or mm-hmm. or domestic abuse. So there's all kinds of different factors that can bring people apart. Financial problems too. And you, when did you start writing books? When did you realize, you know, I have to write about this in a bigger way? Actually, I wanted to be a writer since I was in high school. Oh. Yeah. So again, life is just so full of twists and turns. I wanted to be a writer all my life. And um, I decided... I that I I was I I always go for the safer route. I'm somewhat risk averse. So I studied journalism in college as well as finance. And I decided to pursue the corporate route. And then after I became sick and I had to retire from litigation, I found myself with flexibility to do whatever it is I wanted. And Mm -hmm. um, that's when I got more involved. I came back to the domestic violence advocacy. I had the opportunity to become a trainer. And 
I then had the opportunity to write and what really inspired me to write about divorce was a retreat I had with women. It was a forgiveness retreat. And I noticed that many of the participants had issues related to their marriages, some who were currently married and some who had been divorced for years, but some issues still lingered. And I realized this is a very important topic. This is something that's causing a lot of hurt. And I recall when I was going through this experience that I really wished there had been a book that would have helped me become stronger. I wanted I wanted a book that would give me the empowerment and the courage to do what was right for me and would help me make this decision that was so difficult at the time and so charged. So it was at that time that I decided I wanted to to write about divorce and that's how my books came about. And so your first your first title was which one? It was Solve the Divorce Dilemma, Do You Keep Your Husband or Do You Post Him on Craigslist? <laughs> and I think I noticed that that has a workbook as well. Yes, it does. Because my books uh, guide people through a process of self-discovery and a series of inquiries that you need to pose to yourself so you can understand yourself better and find the solutions because you have the answers to the queries in your life. So the workbook, yes, is part of the Solve the Divorce Dilemma book. Mm-hmm. And then you have a couple of other titles, too. Relationship Solutions, Effective Strategies to Heal Your Heart and Create the Happiness You Deserve. And that is my newest book. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like you've become sort of an authority on relationships. Would you call yourself that? I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, <laughs> I can say I have a lot of experience. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious about your family. Um, you know, did have they fully accepted the fact that, you know, your husband of 21 years is is where you were meant to be? Uh, they like him. My, hus- my, my current husband is wonderful. And that's why I say that don't give up and, and you never know where life is going to take you. My family loves my husband. My husband is really, really good. <laughs> that's good. Um, and then in the in the short time we have remaining, um, do you want to talk a little bit about your your domestic violence work or, or anything else you'd like listeners to know about domestic violence or what what you are hoping will get better in the, in the near future for people in that situation? I think the most important thing for someone who is in a relationship in which they are not happy is to pay attention, to develop the awareness, because very often people find themselves in abusive situations, but they don't even realize it because it's so nuanced. I had the good or bad fortune that my husband just went from one extreme to another uh, right on the plane on our way to the honeymoon. But I get to hear this a lot from readers and clients that they have endured a lot of abuse and obnoxious behaviors from their partners, and they didn't even realize it was abuse. So you need to pay attention, try to educate yourself as to what are the signs of domestic violence. Domestic violence is not just physical violence. So I recommend learning, uh, educating yourself on the subject. I like the National uh, Domestic Violence Hotline as a a resource because they have a lot of information and uh, guide you to resources in your local area. And not only educate yourself, try to get help. Uh, Work with a counselor and try to understand your situation better so you can empower yourself to make 
the move that is right for you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Um, where can people find your books? Your, you know, what's your website or your social media handles? My website is www.soniafrontera.com. That's S-O-N-I-A-F-R-O-N-T-E-R-A. Dot com, And my books are available on Amazon and also available through my website. And they're available everywhere online where books are sold. Great. And are you also on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter? I am on Facebook. I also have a private group that is called The Power Sisterhood. And I am also on Twitter and LinkedIn. And YouTube. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're on YouTube as well. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll link to all of those in the episode notes. And thank you so much. I really enjoyed learning about your story and um, really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.